You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from the, so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to get more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hi everyone, my name is Paul Barnett and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. As the podcast has grown, the great coaches we have interviewed have shared so much insight and wisdom that we decided to create episodes dedicated entirely to the ideas that have resonated with us the most. Today's episode is on the topic of motivation, and Grant and I are joined for the discussion by one of our listeners, Dr. Brian Height. If you would like to join us for a future episode on a topic that is close to your heart, then please contact us using the details in the show notes. The Lessons from the Great Coaches Podcast. Good evening, Dr. Brian Hart, and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. We're looking forward to talking to you tonight about all things motivation. But before we get started on that, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, I appreciate you all having me on the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, When I got the response that we were going to be able to discuss motivation today, specifically as it applies to coaches, it's just a topic that I think is so relevant and so important. And and it's been relevant and important in many areas of my life. I, I spent... Uh, 25 years as a stuntman in the film and television and live show world. I've 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 done live shows in different places around the globe, 
lots of different films and TV shows, but the work is hard and, and it's, you never know when you're going to get it. And it's a constant job search. So staying motivated throughout that process can be tough, particularly with as many rejections as you get and as much uncertainty as exists in that particular environment. Uh, I also got a master's degree in sports psychology and a PhD in organizational psychology. The sports psychology was really interesting to me because I was coaching gymnasts and and it was it was really fascinating to me that I would watch these kids hit their routines in practice regularly and they were doing terrific. And then I would take them to a meet and the ones who were doing so well in practice, not all of them, but some of them would get to the meet and just tank miserably. And it was I say fascinating. It probably wasn't fascinating for them. They didn't they didn't like it very much at all. But I thought it was really interesting that they were clearly capable of doing these skills. I'd watched them do it dozens of times correctly. And then they get in this one competitive environment and they just seem incapable of performing to their potential. And that really interested me and got me to start reading about sports psychology and just the concepts and the various skills and techniques, which I started to apply while coaching gymnastics and then decided to pursue the master's degree. And because the uh, information was so interesting to me, I just continued. And so I continued on with a PhD in organizational psychology, which is essentially sports psychology for businesses, uh, applying a lot of the same concepts and, and honestly, a lot of the same techniques with leadership and with group development and really trying to get the most out of people that they're capable of giving in all the environments in which they exist. So I, I so that's kind of the, the academic piece of what I did. I've worked with the Army, the U.S. Army, for 10 years doing performance psychology-related uh, work, which is really focusing on specific performances. Maybe the leaders want their soldiers to shoot better or they want better physical fitness scores. That's one realm. But really where my focus was, and it's it's really interesting to me, I think it's relevant across the board, was with regard to resilience. Because I think that just as human beings, we encounter so many different challenges in all facets of life. And without the tools, without the resources necessary to handle those situations effectively, uh, we can get knocked down pretty easily and it can it can cause a lot of problems, not only for ourselves, but for those around us, for our families, for our loved ones. So this idea of resilience and really teaching the soldiers some different concepts and skills, some techniques that they can use in a wide variety of circumstances, not just performance settings, but throughout life that can be beneficial with something really rewarding. I've enjoyed that. Uh, I recently began my own performance psychology business called Begin Again Performance Psychology, and I've focused primarily on uh, high school aged athletes, gymnasts, swimmers, soccer players, a lot of different sports in there, but really the, the high school kids. And I have some performing artists that I work with as well, some singers, a musician, and a couple of actors that I've picked up too. I guess the thing that listening to you that really piques my interest is the sort of notion of skills plus motivation is performance. And so what is it that motivates you? Well, I mean, when I think about motivation for me, I try to <laughs> I try to live what I preach. 
And motivation ideally comes from within. And there are there are a couple different theories of motivation. I'd love to break them down for you. And, and then through that, I, I can discuss sort of how that's applied to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, when people talk about motivation, at least the, the leaders that I've discussed, most of the time, they're talking about levels of motivation, meaning somebody is really motivated or they aren't motivated at all. And honestly, when I've asked the question, and I often do in, in the classes that I teach and the interactions that I have with leaders, one of the first questions I ask them is, what is the biggest problem that you as a leader encounter? And invariably, they'll come back with motivation. How do I get my people motivated? How do I get them to do what I need them to do without me having to prod them? How do I get them to do what they need to do because they understand it's important? And that's an interesting question. And, and, and it comes down to a few different things. So when we start talking about levels of motivation, there's an interesting theory called expectancy value theory. And what this theory states is that levels of motivation are determined by, number one, the extent to which people believe that they are capable of being successful. If I think that I can do something successfully, then I'm likely to be more motivated to do it. If I don't think I can do it successfully, if I think I'm going to fail, well, I'm not likely to be motivated to engage in that activity. Who likes failing? Nobody. So so that the extent to which I believe I can be successful is one of the factors that contributes to levels of motivation. Another factor that contributes to levels of motivation is value, the extent to which I care about the activity, the behavior, the extent to which it matters to me. The answer to the question, why is this important? That's the other factor. Because if I don't think that the behavior is important, if I don't think it's valuable for some reason, then I'm not likely to be motivated to engage in that behavior. And there are several reasons put forth by this theory for why somebody might think something's important. For example, Uh, Are they interested in the activity? Uh, Does the cost or does the benefit outweigh the cost of engaging in the activity? Um, Is there some sort of utility? Is the the behavior helpful or useful in some kind of way to move them from point A to point B? Those are some of the reasons put forth by expectancy value theory for why somebody might care about a behavior. So those two things together, the extent to which we believe we can be successful and the extent to which we care about the behavior are really what determine levels of motivation. And I think that's important for leaders to remember for a couple of reasons. But the main reason is because when I talk to these leaders and I ask them, you know, why is it that you think that that you're the people you lead, your subordinates? are not motivated, sometimes what I'll get back, in fact, often what I'll get back is they just don't care. How do I get them to care? How do I get them to to think this stuff matters? And honestly, that might be the problem if, if they are not motivated, but it may not be the problem. Also, what might be the problem you where you as a leader might want to look is the extent to which they believe they can be successful. So for example, If a gymnastics coach has an athlete that they believe is capable of of performing a new skill, let's say it's a flyaway uh, from the high bar, and the coach knows that the athlete is physically ready, they've gone through the progressions, and, and the athlete's capable of doing the flyaway. 
but the athlete doesn't seem to lean in. The athlete doesn't really want to go to bars. The athlete doesn't really, <laughs> that flyaway is not really on that athlete's priority. Well, it may not be because the athlete doesn't care about getting the flyaway. It might simply be because the athlete doesn't believe that he or she is capable of doing the flyaway. So it gives coaches a couple of different ways to look at motivation when motivation levels are low. Similarly, we might believe that we're capable of doing something and we might even care about it. It might be important to us. But if the cost of engaging in that behavior outweighs the benefit, then we're not likely to be motivated either. So for example, if the number of hours I need to put into practice or the amount of pain that I'm going to have to endure in order to achieve a certain level is more than I'm willing to give, even though I care about the end state, and even though I believe I'm capable of reaching that end state, if the cost outweighs the benefit, I may not be motivated. So this information gives coaches a little bit of extra, uh, a, a few extra things to look at when they're questioning and evaluating athletes' motivation. Just something that struck me when you were talking is that in the coaching that you've done, are there pools of motivation that people share or is is motivation something that's very individual? Um, that's an interesting question. Motivation is definitely an individual. It's an individual thing. We We each have our own values, our own beliefs, our own set of ideas about what's important and what matters and how the various behaviors and interactions in our environment relate directly to us. So motivation is very much an individual, an individual uh, concept for, for people. However, it is possible for coaches to create a climate, to create an environment that fosters motivation. And that's, and, and that's tied to a different theory. So let, let's talk about that one for a minute. Because like I said, most coaches, leaders in general, when you ask them about motivation or they're having problems with motivation, what they'll describe are problems with levels of motivation. So I just talked about where those levels come from. But equally important is the answer to the question, why do you care? So let's say somebody is motivated. This, this behavior does matter to them. The value side is high. The question is why, and that answer to that question of why does this matter is important, and this is self-determination theory. This is a theory put out uh, by two researchers initially called Ed DC and Richard Ryan, but the theory, and, and there are, it's actually a macro theory. There are a lot of mini theories within it, but from this standpoint of, of the importance of the answer, why do we care, we might care because if we engage in the behavior, we get a reward or we avoid a punishment of some sort. We might care because if we engage in the behavior, we won't feel guilty about not engaging in the behavior or we can avoid feeling uh, bad compared to other people. Or we might engage in the behavior because the outcome of the behavior is something that we truly care about. We might engage in the behavior also because it's just part of who we are. It's part of our identity. Engaging in this behavior is so integral to ourselves as we define ourselves that, of course, we engage in the behavior. And lastly, we might engage in the behavior because it's simply fun. This is intrinsic motivation. The, the idea that we engage in a behavior simply because it's enjoyable to us. 
So there are many reasons why we might care about a behavior. And it turns out that not all of those reasons are created equally. There are many problems with using as a leader rewards and punishment as a go-to source of motivation. And that happens a lot. Leaders will, they will offer rewards in the hope that that will incentivize athletes to perform better, to put in more effort. But what happens sometimes with rewards is number one, Sometimes coaches don't have the resources to offer rewards. Number two, if it's a group environment, what is perceived as a reward by one athlete may not be perceived as a reward by another athlete. And rewards are only useful if they are actually perceived as a reward. So if I offer an athlete, let's say uh, they've been training really hard and I offer them uh, a day off if, if they place in the top three, well, the athlete may not want a day off. The athlete may love what it is that they do. And so that's just not a reward for them. So we have to, so, so those are some of the problems with rewards. A, a counterintuitive problem with rewards is that often leaders will offer rewards with the hope that the reward will incentivize the person to perform as well as possible. But rewards can actually limit performance in a couple of ways. One way is that, let's say you have, we'll take the gymnast again. Let's say that you have a gymnast who's capable of doing 20 pull-ups. And you say to that gymnast, you know what? If you give me 15 pull-ups right now, I'll give you um, you know, an extra 15-minute break, whatever kind of reward they think that athlete might like. Well, the athlete wants the break, and so they're going to do the 15 pull-ups but they're capable of doing 20. But because that reward is in place and because they only need to do 15 in order to get the reward, the, war the reward is actually limiting their performance. Another way that rewards can limit performance is when it's offered to the group. So let's say I'm in a group of 20 people and the coach says to all 20 of us, okay, we're getting ready to run two miles. Whoever finishes in the top five gets to, they get to go home. Everybody else is going to do sprints. Well, if I look to my left and right, and I realize that there is very little chance that I'm going to finish in the top five compared to the people I'm with in this group, then I'm not going to be motivated to engage in that behavior. That reward is going to drop my level of motivation. Why? It goes back to expectancy value theory. I don't expect to be successful. I don't expect to be able to finish in the top five. So the offering of the reward for the top five is actually probably in that situation going to serve to limit my motivation. So rewards can cause all kinds of problems when used by leaders on a regular basis. However, there's one situation in which rewards can actually be beneficial for motivation, and that's when rewards are perceived as a form of feedback. And we'll probably get to feedback later on as we explore some of the coaching behaviors that can help create those climates I mentioned earlier. But when rewards are, are perceived by people as a source of feedback, as, as just a way that's an indication that, that they did well, then rewards can actually boost performance and, and help uh, motivate people. So that's rewards and punishment. There are also problems with using 
shame, guilt, those negative comparisons with others as go-to sources of motivation. Um, you know, shame meaning I believe I'm not good enough. Guilt meaning I've I've done something that I shouldn't have. Uh, and, and then those negative comparisons, the the I'm going to do this just so everybody doesn't think I'm a loser or whatever those might be. That's when coaches set conditions for that shame or guilt to be the driving force. Rapport can be can be diminished between the coach and the athletes. The athlete's well-being for sure can can be diminished, too. So so those can be problems. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Fantastic, Brian. It's great to hear the theory behind it and, and some practical examples. What strikes me is motivation is very important. It's a multifaceted and a difficult thing. And also it requires individual tailoring. So the job of the coach in dealing with this is it's very important, but it's quite hard to do. And I wonder, if Paul, if you can't draw on some of uh, what the people you've interviewed have said about either the importance of motivation or the way motivation works with different people. I think it's fascinating listening to Brian unpack motivation. I think when I reflect on how the great coaches talk about it, they do oftentimes talk about care. And they use that quote that's often attributed to Teddy Roosevelt. People only care what you've got to say once they know you care. But when it comes to sort of understanding the motivational drivers of people, one of the things we hear regularly is around understanding the purpose that brings that athlete to the table. And I've got a great audio quote from Danny Kerry. And Danny is a fascinating coach. He led the English women to the gold medal in field hockey at the 2012 Olympics. And he also coached the English men as well. And he, he talks a lot about the psychologists they used in their program and the process they went through with each of their athletes to underlock this this sense of purpose that brought them into the team. And, and in this quote as well, you'll hear him talk about how he was surprised, the many varied and very different forms of, of purpose uh, that brought people to the table. So I'll play that for you now. And essentially there's a real guided process led by the psychologists and I'm privy and very fortunate to be involved in this both doing it myself and also listening to the other athletes' stories in this process. But there's a real guided process around the athletes exploring their life histories, reflecting on what have been 
the really most satisfying and enjoyable aspects of their lives? What are the things they look fondly back on? Equally, the things that they found challenging in their lives. And in doing that, trying to understand what they bring from the past to the present and why they act and behave the way they do. And, and we start to sort of an unearth and a self-insight in our athletes and connect them perhaps with the things that they love about what they do to allow them to have a greater sense of perspective about what they do and why they do it. And at its core, then understanding why do you do what you do and what would you want to have as sitting behind the purpose for what you want to do. That process goes on in a, in a really over a number of sort of extended interviews, conversations, kind of conversations is a better word. And that gets sort of boiled down and assimilated. And once the athlete feels very happy and content, they've really got to a place where they feel they understand their why. They are then sort of guided to present that to all of us so that all of the other athletes and all of the staff. So it becomes a sort of a, a greater level of mutual understanding between the athletes and the staff. And that creates a greater level of mutual support between because we tend to know where people have come from, what they enjoy about their life, that what they're seeking from what they do and what they want from others in that process and what they need from others in that process. And that's how we go about it in the current Great Britain men's hockey programme. So if your job is to coach, especially a group of athletes rather than an individual athlete, how do you go about stepping into this highly technical area of human psychology and behavior as just part of what you do? I mean, how, how does a coach actually be good at this motivation piece? What we hear time and time again is they align people underneath this vision. So you create a vision for where you want to go. That vision can be it can be goal orientated. It, for example, it could be we want to win the volleyball gold medal at the 2023 Olympics in Paris or sorry, the 24 Olympics in Paris. Or it could be something different, which is about them being the best version of themselves, bringing energy every day into the room. I think there is some people that move forward without defining the output of their actions. And there are other people that really define the vision of where they're heading and what they're what they're aspiring to. So that's what I see being played back from from the great coaches. But perhaps Brian, what do you think is the key to unlocking this kind of group energy when it comes to motivation? Well, I, I think that it can start with coming together around what the values of the team are. Uh, for example, if everybody can agree on caring about integrity, or communication, or uh, effort, and perseverance, things like this that are common values that, that all of the team knows are important, all of the team buys into as valuable, and everybody is aware, is expected of them on a daily, hourly, minutely basis. That's a great place to start, because the way that you can help ensure that internal motivation, just in general, is to connect behaviors to values. Anytime the behaviors are connected to our values, those behaviors are being driven by internal sources that are that are stable and that are solid and that are strong and that will last throughout challenges and over periods of time. So as far as coaches starting to create an environment that helps foster motivation, creation of common team values that are 
bought into, hopefully, hopefully created by, this is the other part of that process. If you're a coach and you're going to go through that process of creating values, bringing the team together and, and allowing them to decide for themselves what the important values are that they want to live by is a great way to go, as opposed to just deciding yourself what values you want your team to have and then dictating, prescribing those values to the players. You can bring everybody together and around, the, you know, in that group cohesive environment, people suggest, talk about, discuss various values and then decide upon what things they care about. And with those values in place, that's a great place for the coach to start, because regardless of what's happening in practice or in games, the coach always has at least those sets of values to draw on, to lean on when they're when they're talking about players, when they're when they're discussing what's going on and they can connect those values to the behaviors that are happening wherever on the field and court, wherever the performance environment might happen to be. That's as a group, but still you're not going to get away from those personal values. And this gets into just the absolute essential part of coaching. And that is getting to know each athlete as individually and as personally as you, as you can. And that creates a sense of connection, a sense of rapport. And there's a lot of benefit to that as well um, outside of motivation. But from a motivational standpoint, what it does is provide you with information about what really matters to that individual. And then when challenges arise, you can have conversations about those challenges in terms of the values and the things that matter to that particular individual. Something that strikes me about what you described about the team and behaviors and values is you're talking a lot about alignment. How big is alignment in perceptions of motivation or lack of motivation? I think that that if there is a lack of motivation, the first place that I go to is that expectancy value theory. And what are we, in other words, what, are you expecting this individual to be motivated to do what, what is, because when we talk about motivation, we're talking about the drive to engage in goal directed behavior. So what specifically is this individual not motivated to do? And once you identify that, then you can start figuring out the reasons. And I would start by asking, does this individual believe that he or she can be successful and, and, and believe that he or she is capable of doing what you're asking. And then the second question is, does this person care about this thing? And if not, then then that might be a place that, well, it is. <laughs> it is a place to start and start figuring out why it is that they don't care. And that gets into one of the, I told you that there are some specific behaviors that that coaches, that leaders can use to create this uh, th this environment of internal autonomous motivation. And that is the provi uh, provision of rationale. When leaders can provide a rationale to subordinates, when coaches can give a reason for what they're asking athletes to do, that, that the athletes or, or the subordinates understand, that they, that they get, that they buy into, that absolutely goes a long way toward, toward maximizing motivation and toward bringing that motivation to a level and, uh, and strength that will be sustained over time. When we don't know why it is that we're doing what we're doing, somebody just tells us, hey, go do this. This is important. Um, 
motivation is likely to be low in those circumstances. But the more leaders can provide a rationale and really give reasons, and this is where the personal knowledge of the individual comes in. Because if you're going to give a rationale for the behavior, you may not want to give a standard uh, answer for the rationale to each and every person. You probably want to tailor that rationale to the things that those individuals care about. So if you want me to be motivated to engage, to, to do some presentation in front of you know a group of people, if we're in an office setting in an environment, and you want me to give a presentation on a topic... And you might tell me, well, you know what? It, this presentation is really important for these people because they're having a lot of issues within their group about um, with, with related to burnout or related to family problems. And they're, I think they're really going to take a lot out of this presentation that you're giving. Okay, that might be one rationale. Somebody else in a different life circumstance, maybe the rationale is, hey, I want you to give this presentation to these people because I think it's going to give you an opportunity to grow. You haven't done these presentations very much before. This is going to give you a chance to develop yourself and to improve and to really start to learn where maybe your boundaries are in terms of presentations, the creation, delivery of them. Somebody else, maybe it's, I want you to go deliver this presentation because this is going to be something else you can put on your resume that's going to set you up for the next for promotion next time around. There, there could be any number of reasons that a leader might put out, but they've provided a rationale. In each of those three circumstances I mentioned, the leader provided a rationale, a reason why it was that that individual should care about that particular behavior. So the providing of rationale is is a great way for leaders to help set the conditions for that internal motivation to occur. And, you know, just talking about this concept of individually tailored messages, rationale and that, Paul, I know that you've got some uh, references to this individual motivation by uh, some of the coaches that you've interviewed on the Great Coaches podcast. Yeah, the they talk a lot about these things that, that Brian references. You know, Eddie Jones, the iconic English rugby coach, he talks to us about the change that's occurred over his journey as a coach, and and now you need to tell the players why they're doing something. And it's it's a theme that's that's played back. You know, particularly with maybe coaches that are in their fifties or above who have been in the game for quite a while. There's just one question that I wanted to ask: If you are a great coach and you're very, very good at motivation, how do you avoid becoming the where the motivation comes from the coach and is not this autonomous uh, motivation? So you, you create an environment where the athlete or the team is relying on or dependent on the coach as a source of uh, uh, motivation. Well, I think that... Again, the coach can't motivate the players. They they simply can't. And and all the coach can do is try to create that environment. Now, that may be in the most short-term expedient way by offering a reward or threatening punishment. Because again, those are sources of motivation and people can be very motivated by rewards and punishment. And I'm not even going to argue necessarily that under all circumstances across the board, that that rewards and punishment in order to initiate short-term, quick, necessary behavioral change wouldn't be helpful. But I would absolutely argue that the literature is very clear that it should be avoided whenever possible. 
So if coaches understand they can't motivate people, all they can do is set conditions for motivation, then the question becomes, well, how am I going to set conditions for motivation? Am I going to create a reward or punishment structure? Or am I going to really start to delve into and understand the underlying values that these players hold, the the things that make them tick and connect those values to the behaviors that I want to see and that are expected in practice and performance settings. That's a great answer. Paul, you you also had some some thoughts on that. Your question was around how do you ensure that the motivation is not coach-led, it is athlete-led? And I think the answer to that lies in this idea that we've heard many times around meeting people where they are and starting with their agenda and what they need. And then through that process, coaching them towards an energy level, an output, a behavior that is consistent with what the team's trying to achieve. And the best quote I've got that really illustrates this point comes from Jenny Busek. I think it's a very powerful way of, of summing up what, what happens in that very intimate relationship between coach and athlete. And you can't really influence somebody until you meet them where they are and then lead them from that point. You can't just get frustrated that they're not where you want them to be. You got to figure out where they are, why they are there, connect with them at that point, and then build up some equity to, to influence. Dr. Brian Hart. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about motivation tonight. And we're very much looking forward to reading more about this topic in your book, to which we will put a link below. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on motivation with one of our listeners, Dr. Brian Height, and found one or two things that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table for discussion. If you would like to contact Brian, you can reach him at his website, beginagainperformancepsychology.com. The key lessons I have taken away on the topic of motivation from our discussion were motivation is one of the biggest challenges you will come across as a leader. Motivation levels are influenced by the extent to which people think they can be successful and the degree to which they care about the activity they are undertaking. Rewards and punishment can help with motivation, but it will produce volatile results. Instead, motivation becomes more consistent when it is internally driven. However, it is possible for leaders to create an environment that fosters motivation and support their athletes in that environment by working with them to understand what drives them. Here at the Great Coaches Podcast, we are always trying to learn, so please let us know if you have any feedback. Just like Tomac, who said, Thanks for the insight and energy, Team Great Coaches. Thanks, Tomac. The interaction with the people around the world who listen gives us great energy and keeps us going. And so if you would like to join us for a future episode or have any feedback or comments, please let us know. All the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.